Hello everybody and welcome to Grim Encounters, a chill 3rd edition tabletop RPG based in the modern day chill world. My name is Nort, I will be your chill master for this evening, and next to me is... Shane, playing Father Frank Flanagan. And Ranson, playing Pykel Sanchez. And Anna, playing Mavis. And we're gonna get right into it everybody. Mavis, you are at a party. You don't really like parties. Um, you just never been much into social interactions with people. Now, you are you were invited to this party, and the only reason you accepted it is because an envoy from the organization Save contacted you. Um, now, as you look around the room, all of the other people invited are mingling, talking, uh, they're having a drink, they're having little sandwiches, just having a general good time. Now, in the corner of the room, kind of next to the beverage, the bar, is uh, uh, a man in a, a white lab coat. Every once in a while, you see him pull out a flask from his coat pocket and take a swig, and then it looks like he mumbles something and then continues to watch. And as you continue to observe the room, you see a man in what you assume to be is preacher garb with a cane. He's very easily speaking to a group of people about, as you can muster from sitting this far away, just why they are there. And as you, you, as you begin to, be, to get lost in your thoughts, as happens on a daily and daily basis, you also see this man at a table a few tables away, uh, angrily muttering just curses and he is just has a tall glass of whiskey and he's very red-faced you've never seen these people before charles came to you and told you he wants to help you find your parents as you zone off thinking about what you've lost the past few years what you hope to gain the preacher slowly walks up to you and sits down next to you. You seem at a loss, my dear. Yeah. I sense that this is not your place, and you indeed look out of place. Is everything okay? And are you alright? I'll be fine. I... Uh, this just isn't my place of choice. Ah, excuse me. Where are my men? I am Father Frank. Father Frank Flanagan. I'm Mavis. Mavis. It is very nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. Now, Frank, um, well, I guess, Shane, would you like to describe what Frank looks like for us? He indeed has a cane, um, but he is dressed immaculately in dark clothes, um with a uh, preacher's collar. They have the, the father's collar. Um, very deep set lines on his face. Uh, and he also has a s astonishingly silver uh, beard and hair. And a um, cross or crucifix hangs down on his front. And now uh, Mavis. What does Mavis look like? Well, 
Mavis is, uh, I'd say about 5'3". She's young, kind of has distant eyes. Uh, I'd say light brown hair down to her mid-back and just very, not unpre- unpleasant to look like, look at, um, not necessarily plain, but nothing too astonishing. As uh, you have this exchange of words, um, probably the most pleasant conversation you've had since being here, um, a large woman walks up to you. Now, I say large, I do not mean um, large, I mean large as in she is quite muscular. Um, she looks as if she could lift both of you easily, um, and she kind of walks slash stumbles up to you, Mavis specifically, and uh, she gets real close in your face. She says, So, you the one that had the family? Well, doesn't everybody have a family? <laughs> you know what I mean. I, I suppose. You don't. <laughs> they were telling me about them. You, you don't look like anything. Like you don't look like you almost like you don't belong here. And then she leans back some more, pulls up a chair, and she goes, "I can shoot a target from four hundred yards away. What can you do?" And she kind of puts her hand on you and begins to push you. Um, I guess I would. I was the best in my archery team. I just, I, I'm not too, not too keen on showing off. Pikele, as you take another swig of your alcohol, um, you notice this large woman who, you've been, uh, been, you've noticed her because, again, you are just people watching at this point. (laughs) You see this, and you see this small young woman sitting in a chair at a table with an older gentleman. Um, and it looks like the large woman is getting pretty aggressive towards this young woman. And you look at her and you have a flashback of coming home after the incident and your family not being there. Um, a note scribbled on a piece of paper saying, how could you? And your daughter flashes through your mind that She's about the same age as your daughter is. What do you... I stumble over there and be like, Hey, big, big woman. <laughs> I'm feed you to my pooch. If you don't walk away. <laughs> and as he says pooch, um, a large German shepherd uh, prances behind him and kind of sits and not so much growls, but bears his teeth at this woman, almost as if he has done this before. <laughs> <laughs> and the large woman gets up and looks at all of you. And shakes her head and then looks at you. You got something to say, old man? Indeed. Don't envy violent don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Such wicked people are detestable to the Lord, but he offers his friendship to the godly. And I extend my I stand and extend my arm to Mavis. <laughs> And begin to walk away if she takes it. Yeah, I, I, I take uh, Father Frank's arm. I just take a swig to stare at her. So the party continues on, and 
nothing else of significance happens. You meet some of the other people that are there, and they're all ranging in abilities and intelligence and just things that maybe that Save is interested in bringing to the table. You three hit it off after this. You all three talk. Um, you, Even if the varying opinions between all three of you, you all find a common ground in why you believe you recruited for save. It is to save and protect people. To stop these monsters that have terrorized all three of you in very different ways. It is two days later, and you are, all three of you are standing in a line with the seven other people that were at the party in some warehouse located in some downtown portion of Chicago. Um, now, being you all being from the from being from Justice, the suburb of Chicago, you are quite familiar with Chicago as a whole. Um, you've all been to this area before, whether it is in just in a taxi, uh, maybe. There was some event down here with one of your parents, or maybe for your wife or, or daughter, Michael. Um, so you're not nervous about being here. It's just strange why you're in a warehouse. But you listened and you came because you feel empowered by what you've heard so far. A woman that is about 5'9 in height walks out. She is in military garb. If any of you know anything about military, she appears to be a part of, or was a part of, the Marines. Um, she has a beret on, and uh, she is missing her left arm. She appears to be about 30, 35, and she looks at all of you as she quietly walks for a few minutes through all of you, in front of all of you, excuse me. Now I, now this, this isn't a fun job. This isn't a glorious job. It will be hard. People will die. I might die. You might die. We are here to not stop the death. Just make the death count lower. And of course put these creatures into the ground. Or whatever hell they come from. And she, there's a long silence as she kind of looks over all of you. She looks down, she rubs her, her left shoulder. Well, let's begin. And over the next week or so, you are all put through some rudimentary basic combat training. Um, you're taught simple maneuvers on basically how not to die, on how to take a hit and not go down, or go down as hard. Um, it is specifically hard for you, Father Frank. Your body is not what it used to be 15, 20 years ago. Um, but she treats you the same. You, She expects you to do the same things. Whether you fail these things, she seems to be accepting. She's taken by the fact that you're trying. Mavis, she is in, incredibly impressed with your ability, with your bow. When you showed up with it, she was confused. That you, most people showed up with handguns. Um, very few showed up with shotguns. Um, but your ability with it, 
blew, blew her away. And as you guys are practicing firing your weapons, um, you hear someone say, who is handling their handgun, it's, it's just not shooting. And then you hear a shot. And you hear screaming beginning. And everyone is looking around at each other, slightly panicking. What do you do? Oh, fuck. <laughs> well, clearly it's me. <laughs> like, <laughs> obviously, I run towards the gunfire to see who got shot. It appears that uh, this young woman named Jean um, was misproperly handling her handgun. Um, not that Ni- Naomi has been very specific on how to use these firearms and how they're not toys, um, but she seemed to uh, shoot herself in the leg. And her twin brother, Dean, is standing over her, just crying, just so upset. He's there's, he's like, gee, you're going to be okay, gee. And everyone is just shocked and staring around. Pykele, do you do anything? Well, I'm going to heal, obviously. Okay. Okay, so I don't remember how exactly this worked. So good, um... It's simple. The your heal should is based off your score in the school, which should be written on your character sheet, if I'm not correct. Well, yeah, it's a, I'm a master in heal. Okay, so you go to bend down and um, tend to this person's wound. Mm-hmm. Um, just give me, give me a, give me a, a heal roll. Okay, you will take a minus fifteen for this though, and you took the minus fifteen because uh, Pykele is. Addicted. addicted he has an addiction to alcohol and he never said he took a swig so you uh, take that. well i mean technically i did while we were at the party is this, this, is, this is two days later oh, this is, days later. oh shit okay uh she would not let you have your alcohol <laughs> <laughs> in the wrong guns <laughs> yeah um sorry. but it, in the end it didn't matter you i could have had a flask in my jacket or something yeah you place your hands your hands and you go to administer basic aid because just you've coming from being in a lab and dealing with these incidents you are good with helping people with injuries like this and uh your hands glow orange and her wound instantly heals up okay cool and uh you hear from outside of the group my my mr sanchez I didn't know you were fluent in the art. I opened up my jacket. Oh, thank you. <laughs> now, students, I was hoping to this would come after you've been initiated, but yeah, magic magic's real in a way. It is more of an art. So we call it the art. Now, these creatures do have abilities that they can do. But we call that the evil way because it's not beautiful. It is the most terrifying thing you will witness. Um, but hey, we have a healer in our group. We lost ours a long time ago. Great to have you, Mr. Sanchez. And uh, Dean. I goes just in. raised my glass or <laughs> my flask. <laughs> Dean goes in for a hug. My dog growls at him. <laughs> <laughs> he falls backwards. Good. <laughs> so 
like interaction. <laughs> so after about two, two, three days of this, um, you're all tired, um, and she lines you all up again, and she says, "Wonderful job, everyone. Some of you more than others, but everyone showed heart." And frankly, that's what we need right now. And she has a clipboard and she pulls it in front of her and she says, I'm going to announce the squads now. Um, from what I've observed at the party and what I've observed here, um, people naturally gravitate to each other. Whether it's destiny, hey, could just be that hey, you think she's cute, whatever, whatever works, but we need the people that work well together. And she says, the first squad, um, I'm going to just say squad A. I would, we're all well, all encouraged to create squad names. It helps with morale. I don't know. Dr. Morris was going on about it, so whatever. <clears throat> she says, oh, we got Gene, Dean, Wu, and Max. That would be our first squad. And she looks over to um, this, 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 scrawny, this scrawny man and this um, really short woman. And she goes, uh, Sydney, Mark, no offense to you guys, but we're going to keep you in the lab. Doctor uh, Dax needs some some help anyway. And they both, they look almost relieved. Um, they both relax and they stop sweating. And then she looks at the other four people You'll be Squad B. Frank, Mavis, Pykel, and Jeremiah. And that angry man that you saw at the party, uh, who is has been shown the most progress besides her, the rifles and stuff, um, he walks over to you guys and says, Don't slow me down. And steps right next to you four. And you all look over at Naomi when he says that, and she something in her, the first time in her face she's so she is shown worry and she goes all right everybody in expect in the next few days we will all be to get you your respective people who recruited you here um, will be coming to get you to take you to our hq The next day, no, nothing passes, like just the day passes. Um, Mavis, you have been living in your parents' home. You inherited it when they were reported dead in a car accident. Um, but, so you have been living in this home. It's your childhood home and it, it's just very empty without them. I don't know where you'd be sleeping, if you'd be in your room or where you'd be the most safe. Um, I would mostly just sleep in my room. Okay. Um, Pykel, when your family left you, they left you in your your uh, your house by yourself, and you haven't heard from them since, so you've been spending most of your time in your recliner watching just random TV shows. You haven't been able to sleep much. Um, you didn't realize how much you needed them until they left. Uh... Frank, you of course have been staying in the home you've been in for 20, 20, 20, 25 years, so yeah. nothing out of the ordinary with that. Mavis, 
you awake to a bright light in your face. Is it the sunlight? No. It looks like it's artificial. Okay. I guess I try to shade my eyes to see. Hello, Mavis. Do you want to know where your parents are? My parents? Yes. Everybody else thought they were dead. <laughs> well, how can I know where they are? I can tell you. But on one condition. I need you to lead me to Naomi Daniels. And I need you to give me Charles Fletcher. Charles? Yes. I don't know where they are. They'll be coming to you in the next few days. I've been watching you. Will you give them up to me? Will you help me kill them? I, I can't. Charles is, he's like my uncle. You feel a, a cold metal cylinder placed against your head in a cock. Very well. And there's a loud bang and the lights turn on. And you look up to your friend Charles standing above you. And he is holding a little black box and opens his coat, holsters his weapon, leans back against the wall. Good job, my little bird. You make me very proud. And he ex extends your bed and pulls you out of bed. And it is your family friend, Charles, who recruited you um, to help you find your parents. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says, I'm sorry I had to do all the lights and the show. It's what Richard wanted. It's the final test to see if you will keep us safe as well as yourself. But that's good. That's very good. And uh, the scene kind of fades away. There's another bright light and Pykele is sitting in his home watching the History Channel and he is laughing hysterically at how wrong they they are about the ancient aliens you um take a swig of your whiskey and uh the tv flips off and then flips back on and there's three red eyes strewn across it and you a chill runs up your spine mm -hmm. hello pikel re re remember me and a little mouth appears beneath it as it some red teeth appear on the screen you recognize this voice as the creature that ruined your career and drove your wife and daughter away Did you say anything i just finished my flask and just throw it at the tv <laughs> just yeah. break it it cracks like, a, it cracks a little bit um 
Oh, you stupid bitch. <laughs> I can fix. I, 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 I can fi- fi- fix all of this for y- you. So could I. <laughs> I just keep staring at it. <laughs> it, it wasn't per- personal, Pikeil. Pikeil, I. It was j- 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 just biz- business. C- c- curiosity c- c- killed the cat, as they say. I pull out another flask that I had in my jacket. Just like it's a terrible business. I can c- clear your name. <sighs> cool. <laughs> just g- g- give me the next location and time of Naomi Daniels and your l- l- little friend Dax Thorn. Hill, please. My associates have p- 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 paid back a p- p- bone to pick. <laughs> Everybody's got their own battles, but it's not one of them. <laughs> uh, unfortunate. And the TV just explodes. <laughs> I'll just buy another one. <laughs> just like talking to myself. It kinda, I'll just grab another one. <laughs> it knocks you back into your chair as you mutter this. Well, you really had me worried there, Michael. <laughs> and a very short man uh, with long, greasy black hair and very thick, thick glasses that would could break a foot almost if they fell off walks up to you and he's like welcome to save i i knew you uh you'd help us but uh, sorry about your tv i get a little carried away and the uh screen fades black one more time as we approached on the a church it's an older church, but it's beautiful in the way that it's been there for as long as the town has been there almost. And, uh, Frank, you are sitting in your confession booth like you do every other night, um, and you're, you're just enjoying the silence, um, just basking in the holiness of quiet, which you don't get too often, and you hear... A familiar sound as the adjacent door creaks and a uh, creaking of wood as someone sits down. Father, I fear I've sinned. I've killed so many people. And this, the screen kind of gets pressed in a little bit. And I loved it. And you recognize this voice of a man named Jack May. The man who attacked you all those years ago. Who turned into something that wasn't Jack May. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, my son, which shines ever brighter until the full light of the day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they are stumbling over. You, Jack, have lost your way. Next up. Father, how could I lose my way if I never had it? I knew you before, Jack. And this is not the man you were. 
I have a deal for you. Me and my friends could kill you right now. I want to, believe me. But I need something that's more important than your blood. And again, the screen pushes in. I need the location of Richard Black. And I need it right now. I am so sorry, Jack. I fear I have failed you. And I will fail you in this as well. I do not know where Mr. Black is, nor will I tell you. And know that I do not fear death, nor do I fear you. I was hoping you'd say that. And the door of your end is opened. And uh, there are six people standing outside. And out of the other end, Richard comes out. Again, holding, he is holding a black box. Um, he walks up to you and heartily shakes your hand. Um, this man also, he has a, he walks with a cane, um, and appears to be around this a similar age as Frank. God, I'm glad. I'm so glad you didn't waver, Father. But. I was a fool to think you would. If you thought that this would deter me, Mr. Black, then yes, indeed. But do not be a fool or feel foolish. All men are wicked in their ways. Beautiful. And as you all three look upon who you're standing with, um, you, there is someone absent. Um, you do not see Jeremiah. Um, you do see uh, Richard Black, um, as I just, the older gentleman standing in front of you, and um, he turns to a smaller, uh, greasy-haired man and says, This is Dr. Dax Thornhill. He is our head of science and research of the building. He uh, would love to answer any of your questions. He is part of the council, so um, even though he is young, uh, he is very wise in his age and Dr. Dax blushes and looks down and starts rubbing his hands profusely and then you also see um, Naomi but her head has been down and she looks very angry um, and then you see a man he's a little farther back he's leaning up against a pew he's leaning up against a pew and he is in a uh, immaculate gray suit comes forwards and says can we get this going? Uh, I'm really, I'm ready to uh, get some sleep. Uh, my, my name's Charles Fletcher. I'm the head of communications. Most people don't trust me. That's okay. Uh, Richard, can we, can we go? And they all look around, and he goes, "Very well. Um, you're about to be pretty surprised, Frank." Uh, Why is that? Um, follow me. And he heads to the back room, like you've always done. Uh -huh. and, and he starts heading into the cellar. Okay. Um, and after the descent, and there's some storage, there's some boxes with Bibles, some boxes with uh, the flesh of Christ, some wine. 
um, and then he kind of pulls back uh, this this like these stack of boxes that were in the corner, and it reveals uh, a doorway. And he <laughs> looks. I have an extremely puzzled look on my face. <laughs> yeah, it's been under your nose, and uh, he gestures for everyone to go down the stairs. What do you mean it's been under under my nose? What is this place? Oh, it's our headquarters. Our operations. The creatures of the unknown don't like churches. I've been stationed here for nigh on 20 years. And only now I'm learning that save was beneath my feet this whole time. Well, it's... As you guys are walking, he's speaking. He's like, well, it's only been for the past four years... We were stationed in the middle of downtown Chicago, but our fortunately our HQ was overrun, and we lost 190 people in that attack. Uh, very devastating. Um, so we moved to one of our panic rooms, and our panic rooms happened to be an old, uh, long-lost HQ that was based in Justice, which is the beautiful town we are currently in. And you are, after a few minutes of walking, uh, it goes into a little room, and then it begins to spiral, the staircase does, um, and you are, basically, he opens the door, and some bright lights assault your eyes, and you are in, um, a, like a lobby straight out of 1984. Um, the colors are off, they aren't the, the nice, cool gentle white you're used to of modern day um the furniture is outdated and old and there is a double door with two windows next to it and in one of the windows there is a woman and she is standing there you recognize her as uh, she was sydney in your training um and she buzzes you guys in as you walk through these doors. Um, I drew a rough map of what the HQ looks like. I'll update it make it better. Um, but it's very open concept. Think of uh, police stations in TV shows like Gotham. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's um, like the floor is very open and the offices are kind of in the back or on the sides but all of like the beat cops and stuff are in the middle so in that big room there is a bunch of different desks um there's some round tables looks like for meeting but again the furniture is all old and outdated um to your right immediate right um there's just another double door so this is where we came in and uh, yeah richard gestures and says this is the bunks if any of you need to stay here there's some rough old bunks that we you can sleep on I imagine there, there could be nights where you all might sleep here, um, but we welcome it. We encourage you to treat this place as your home. Um, and then he gestures to his left, and there is a big wooden oak door, um, and it opens, and as you look, take a glimpse in, there is wall-to-wall books. Um, you oh, you smell the, the must of the books, even from this distance. And as you guys continue walking straight, um, 
he takes a right at the second at the, at the second room. It is made of entirely glass on the front, so you can see in. Um, and as he enters the room, it is an old lab. Um, there's some very outdated equipment in there, Pykel, um, stuff that you were working on when you first started in the sciences. Uh, very rudimentary microscopes, mm-hmm. um, old flasks that look like they need to be updated to code, but they just won't. They just won't, so. okay. Um, and uh, this is where you hear a, <clears throat> this is where I will be most of the time, uh, here of the library. I love both places. Books are friends. And science is also friends. Everyone, that's all my friends. And uh, he kind of like waddles, half jumps to one of the the desks, and he goes, "Don't touch this. This is mine." And there's just this little desk in the corner. He says, "But I am here of assistance, Pykel. I'm excited to work with you. I know you like explosives. I love explosives." <laughs> and he, <laughs> his hands kind of like. They like shake a little bit in his excitement. Yeah, you can see it in his eyes. Like, and he goes, and he stay, he uh, kind of composes himself and stands straight. And he goes, um, "If you don't mind, sir, I would uh, like to stay here and continue my work for the day, for the night." And Richard uh, nods, kind of half um, disheartedly, like whatever, like like it's normal that he's in here all the time. Um, and you guys walk out and. Uh, you look into the other room, and uh, it is uh, an older gym. Uh, there's some weights, there's machines, plenty of punching bags, and uh, mats and stuff. And you see two people, the twins from your training. Uh, they are wrestling. Um, looks like they are doing some sort of MMA uh, performance in there. Uh, and this is our gym. You're welcome to use it anytime. Uh, this is where we have any and all sparring. If there is a problem you have with any of the other envoys, please take it there. <laughs> no fighting on the floor. And he points down. He points to the far corner and he goes, that's just storage. We use it simply. We have a lot of rubble there. There was a lot of structural damage here for some reason. It looks like it hasn't been used in years. Uh, we've done our best. Uh, but... Uh... The, it was the infirmary. But as I hear, Pykel, we might not need that right now. You might... Uh, Ugh, do what I can. You might be interested to talk to Sarah. There's this woman sitting on one of the tables in the middle of the entire floor. Um, it's this big round table, and she's sitting there. She has books all around her. She's cross-legged. An army helmet strapped to her head, and it is buckled under her neck. I just kind of imagined her having, like, always, like, coffee or, like, caffeine patches or some shit. She's just, like, always on edge about like, anything. Uh, meet the Robinsons. Here she's, here is that she, the one where she has the caffeine has patches? The caffeine there patches you go. Bingo. She's like, I have it. Like, I have it. <laughs> She's like, I have the caffeine patch. I had, like, that's what I imagined, but I couldn't remember what it was from. But yeah, that, that's exactly it. <laughs> I don't, what did she say? She's like, I haven't slept in eight days. Yeah. She's like, we have a cot. She's like, she's like, oh no, I'm queen. I have the caffeine patch. Yeah. That's, that's a side effect. Each patch is equivalent to 12 cups of coffee. coffee. <laughs> there, there are three caffeine patches on her face, but she is... Her fingers are in a meditative stance, and she is looking up with her eyes open, 
and her eyes seem to be white, pure white. What do you guys do? I feel like this is your area. I, uh, you don't do anything. There's some shit going on right here. <laughs> there is no such thing, Paykel. She is merely practicing the art. You should know this. You are a practitioner of the art yourself. Yes, but I have white shit on my eyes. But over the pa- past few days, Paykel, um, ever since you did that uh, trick with your hands, oh, yeah. you have been able to just gain fits of strength, um, and you've you've been exhausted. And uh, with the simple closing your eyes and breathing, you have you felt like you could go for another hour. Um, You've just been developing these powers and you're starting to hone in on them the past few days and really accept what you have been that you've been granted upon by whatever. Uh, Richard looks over to Frank. The art, you say? Indeed. You seem quite familiar. I did not know what it was at first, but it makes sense now okay. what I can do. What is this thing you could do? I hear, nor rather, I feel, all of the emotions of everyone around me. Oh, interesting. So, communicative. You know, communicative art. Is that what it is? We'll put it this way, the the last man I knew who had communicative skills in uh, the form of the art was a really good salesman. Like, really good. I am no salesman. No, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that Thanks was good. <laughs> yeah. I was just saying, you're the, <laughs> you're the salesman of God. <laughs> so I'm like, you're selling you're something. Like, you're like, by the yeah. way, would you, would you like to buy my personal Bible? <laughs> As, a blood As a... It was, it was put to good use. So you look... <laughs> look upon this woman and you don't feel anything like you normally do when you um, look at someone when you want to feel how they're feeling and uh, you just start but you feel a tugging from in the in the ceiling and as you uh, look up which I assume you do sure um, you feel her and she is confused hmm. interesting and you feel someone sense you. Oh, another one. Ah, I've been the only one here for so long. Oh, what am I doing? Where are my manners? And then you feel, you feel a gut, like a wind. Mm-hmm. You see Frank kind of shake a little bit, and the woman immediately jumps up. She goes, You! And she jumps off the table. My name's Sarah. Just imagine and she's going up to him just like, I'm Sarah! <laughs> she's like, I'm Sarah! And she's like grabbing both of your shoulders. And she is just smiling into ear. Sarah, I am Father Frank. It is a pleasure to meet you. God, it's nice just to have another one of the art here. And you. I felt something strange about you too. And she gets real close to you and just like looking you over <laughs> I'm just staring at her like Yep And she 
Are you holding your flask? I am. She. Uh, sip. Just one. I'm just saying like this. Like... <laughs> she does that. <laughs> and then she turns back. Oh no no! And she shakes her hand in the air. I'm I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And then she climbs back onto her table and puts a book in her face. And just kind of my eyes like squint at her, and I'm just like slowly drinking, staring at her like you motherfucker. Don't you dare! <laughs> um, it's a good shit right here. <laughs> the last room, uh, Richard says, in this building is the room very far west, and it is a fully glass circular room, and there is a big table, a big big uh half circle table with 10 chairs on it but only five have little plaques in front of it and he says this is uh, the uh, council room after the how can I say after the uh, infiltration after the incident we moved to a council because I failed everyone I let so many people die. And he looks down. And after a few seconds, shakes his head. Sorry, sorry. We've talked about this, Richard. We have. But that's why I'm bringing you. You're here to help. I believe there's... There's more of my lost friends out there. I don't believe your parents are dead, Mavis. But I fear that they have found something worse than death. I don't know. It's just... I've been doing this a long time. It's my gut feeling. And Charles kind of steps in front of him. Now, Richard, don't be putting these things in her head. She doesn't need this right now. Just because you've lost a lot doesn't mean that she's any better or she's lost anything. And he gets a little flustered and he's like, Sorry, Richard. And Mavis, I didn't mean it. I love them both. And, but it's enough. We've we've all lost things. That's why we're here. Whether it's our safety, and he gestures to friend. Whether it's our child, and he looks at you and like almost as if he knows, like he feels. Um, and you see me just down my mug it, that in one instant as soon as you said it I'm just like just chug all of it <laughs> and uh, Mavis our family um, but that's why we're here we're here to stop this um, and that's why every other day this week I want you to come back here and you're going to work with Dr. Dax and Dr. Morris and you're going to learn things. Things you don't want to learn, but you need to know. Kai? And Richard goes, Do I have any questions about anything? Ask anything. I will answer what I can. Am I going to have to walk up and down all of these steps all the time, Richard? Unfortunately, our old HQ, we had three elevators. We had corridors upon corridors. We had... A mess hall. It was fantastic. You would have loved it. Sounds like a lot of walking as well. But there were segways. It was fine. (laughs) (laughs) And he chuckles. 
I, it sounds silly, but you try walking a giant compound every day, and you tell me if your feet don't hurt. Thank you all. I grab my mug. Where's the drink, bro? <laughs> <laughs> he looks at you with a puzzled look. You have to bring your own drink. If you weren't so skilled, I wouldn't even allow you to do that in here. I just buy I just get really close to me. Close. I just stare at him. <laughs> and he points to Fuck. Uh, Mordecai and goes, I'm also going to look past that too, but any kind of uh, pets him on the head. He seems to be a wonderful fellow. Um, and you know, uh, your dog's really good at sensing. Um, like character, personality, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Um, and he just kind of licks his hand. And says, I, I think he's going to do great here. And uh, if there's any questions, uh, I'm going to head to bed. So it's it's about a week. You've got you finished all of your training uh, with your knowledge. Um, you've got pretty intimate with Dax. You've all had an interview with this man, um, who you occasionally see at the corner of your eye walk quickly to different rooms. Um, he is not unkind. He is very to the point. Uh, asks many questions. He is. A psychiatrist after all um, he wears thick leather gloves as well yeah but he will allow no one to see his face so your interviews with dr. Morris Woodsgate um, were different um, I don't know if any of your characters have done psychiatric work before or have had you had yeah, I was saying, he does that on a regular basis probably um, <laughs> So you've been on, have you ever been on the end where you are being, you were expressing your feelings to another person as well? Not really. Not really. Um, <clears throat> if you have, this is different. He, it's, for most psychiatrists, they are not as cold as this man. Um, it may be due to the fact that the only thing human you can see on him is his eyes. He has bright blue eyes and his leather I want to say tunic but his leather coat down to his leather boots and his leather gloves all leading up to his hat he has a brimmed brown hat that he wears and the point of his mask is in between you almost it feels as if it's going to reach out and grab you when he is speaking to you and everything that comes out of his mouth sounds a little muffled he enunciates his things very well and he always leaves quickly now in your interviews did any of you ask him any questions why the mask why the mask, you say? Well, so the enemies can't see me. They can't interpret me. I don't want them to know who took them down. And he uh, reaches up and 
kind of pulls back a lid on the beak and stuffs a little, some little, looks like herbs into it. It's full of snow. Any other questions? Very well. And he'll step up very straight and all of you exactly. This is exactly for everyone. And will he doesn't he didn't didn't write anything, didn't have anything with him. And as he's leaving the door for each and each of you, says they'll have to do. And as he walks past, each individual person that recruited you is standing at the door. Um Charles kind of grimaces every time when the man talks to him. Um kind of shakes his head. Um Dax doesn't even look at him. Can't even look him in the eye. Um and Richard is Richard does. He says, Thank you, Doctor Grimm. I mean, Doctor Woodsgate. And the man kinda cocks his head a little bit and goes, You may call me what you wish. But whatever you call me, make sure you need me. And he kind of, his coat flashes back as he quickly walks away. A few days pass again, and you are all sitting in the middle of the floor, kind of discussing things you learned, things that you've read in books. Um... Maybe the people you've met here, um, how just, how, I don't know, how, how would Mavis, right? How would Mavis be taking this all in? Would Um, it's not, it's not quite unfamiliar, um, not really uncomfortable, not really uncomfortable, but, you know, talking to new people makes her, you know, Uncomfortable? Uncomfortable. <laughs> That's the only uncomfortable part. Uncomfortable. And I'm uncomfortable. Um, Michael, how is, how is, uh, how is he taking it? Another place. Another day. Shane, has Frank found comfort in this, in this group? Comfort? Possibly. A renewed purpose? Most definitely. There's a clank of wood as, uh, Richard Black hobbles his way to the table. He throws throws a, a file, a manila folder onto the table. Here's your first case invoice. I hope you do me proud. And as you look upon this man, you get a the man you've been learning from, the man you've been shown these new things. Uh, you really get a good look at him and again he looks like he's in his mid 50s but his eyes show so much wisdom as if he is double the age um he has jet black hair and but it is speckled with white and gray and it's smoothed back almost with gel and uh his face is also covered in a five o'clock shadow that is also a salt and pepper um and he has many many scars his face is cut his there's a scar digging into the left of his eye um his eye doesn't seem to be damaged from it but uh 
everything around the skin is cut and his hands are even there's scars on his hands <laughs> and uh, as you do this Frank you uh, kind of are taken back to a time when sitting in your confession booth like you always are and it's your Thursday evening it's always slow on Thursday um, maybe one or two people the regulars of course and that you pretend that you don't recognize when they speak um, and you hear the door open uh-huh. and uh, you hear a voice that you don't recognize father I fear I have sinned. I let my friends and family down. I let those monsters kill them. And I could do nothing to protect them. And you hear a soft weep coming from the other compartment. Tell me more, my son. Thank you, Father. And over the next hour, he describes you the events of the HQ. The His closest co-worker, Jess, uh, when he recruited himself, when he had hope in how she, he worked with her for half a decade, she was planning to take over his position because uh, his daughter had moved to New York to work in the treehouse. And how... That was the worst part, how she betrayed him. Um, she, he doesn't know if it was her that betrayed him or something, but she brought she brought them. She brought the Ganabi that tore us apart. It sucked us dry of our life force, killed so many. And I did nothing as this black mass just snapped my leg almost clear off. And the more he tells you this, the more increasing the sobbings. And Father, what do I do? I just want to give up. First know that you should not give up. Second, what you've told me, some would say, is fantasy. But I have had something very similar happen to me. What? Yes. Someone once came to the church. Someone that was not themselves. They had been coming to the church for years. And I knew something was wrong. Very wrong. So after service, I confronted them. I do not know what the monster was, but this black mass that you said, or whatever it was, and the word Ganambe, this is what he called themselves, or it called itself. I believe that they were working with this figure. This figure was stronger. It could have ended me, but it didn't. It's as if it enjoyed to watch me feel the betrayal, to feel the pain, and then it left. 
It walked right past Dax. It laughed at him and pushed him to the ground and then left as it set fire to our files, set fire to our computers. I blacked out, but I feel we're fighting the same enemy, Father. I'd like... I'd like you to help more. Have you ever thought about fighting back? And then come to with him kind of smashing his, like, hitting his cane on the ground. Father, you there? Sorry, sorry, Richard. Uh, yes. I feel it happens to me all the time. <laughs> and they kind of, he kind of laughs. <laughs> Puts his hand on your shoulder and goes, Now, it's, it's cut and dry, this case. It's, it's, of course, a creature of the unknown. Uh, it's hurting people. It's draining people. They turn to bone skin. And have you ever seen Buffy? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Buffy the <laughs> 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 And uh, there we go, guys. That's our uh, first session. First first episode. I was just trying to end it like a, a cool TV show would. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Like I was just like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> he puts his sunglasses on. Yeah. Cool. No, I thought that that went well. Did you guys like it? Mm-hmm. Was it fun? I do like it. I know it wasn't the super spooky, but... Well, it'll be... It'll like get better. It'll be a better once we actually get past, like, yeah. this part. Is this yours or Nords? Those are Nords. Okay. So next session will be... I need to find mine. I don't know where they are. We'll be jumping in the case, so... Yeah, it'll cool. be good. Investigations and... Mestimations and... Dedications. Compilations. Well, everybody... Uh, all kind of Asians. <laughs> thanks for... Uh, amalgamation. Did you kind of Asians? I said all kind of Asians. Like an amalgamation? Asians. Yeah, there you go. That's Asians. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for... Tune into Grim Encounters. I have been your chill master, your uh, devil and angel on your shoulder, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my name is Nort. Uh, this is Frank Flanagan, Father Frank Flanagan. This is Michael because Michael was already taken. <laughs> <laughs> I made this. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Grim Encounters. And uh, we hope you all get spooked out there.